Hi, this is Jeff Steele. Today we are reading Exodus 22, verses 16 through 31, and we are continuing on with uh, this section of texts after the Ten Commandments. Um, we're expounding on uh, some of the rules and, and laws and regulations. So this is where we pick up in verse 16. If a man seduces a virgin who is not engaged to anyone and has sex with her, he must pay the customary bride price and marry her. But if her father refuses to let him marry her, the man must still pay him an amount equal to the bride price of a virgin. You must not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal must certainly be put to death. Anyone who sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. You must not mistreat or oppress foreigners in any way. Remember, you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not exploit a widow or an orphan. If you exploit them in any way and they cry out to me, then I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will blaze against you and I will kill you with the sword. Then your wives will be widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people who are in need, do not charge interest as a moneylender would. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. This coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. You must not dishonor God or curse any of your rulers. You must not hold anything back when you give me offerings from your crops and your wine. You must give me your firstborn sons. You must also give me the firstborn of your cattle, sheep, and goats, but leave the newborn animal with its mother for seven days, then give it to me on the eighth day. You must be my holy people. Therefore, do not eat any animal that has been torn up and killed by wild animals. Throw it to the dogs. Okay. I initially feel like we're kind of all over the place here, right? We're in this section. The laws are being expanded to cover real-life scenarios, and uh, a lot of these texts that we've been reading the last couple of days feel a lot like cases that may have been brought to the local officials, like in this case, probably Moses. Um, and these are the kinds of rulings that would have been given. Now, if you think about even our own legal system today, so much of it relies on precedent of cases that have gone before, don't they? And that's kind of how laws are explained and, and shows their relevance to new and potentially unheard of kind of situations. So... Here we get a feel for some of the principles behind the laws. And then we also get some of the ways that those laws work themselves out practically. So, for example, in this first section, we hear about a man who seduces a woman who is presumed to be a virgin and is not engaged and what should be done with him. Now, regardless of whether or not he gets to marry her, he has to provide for her. It's been mentioned previously how this is kind of an example of God's law that actually elevates the status of some people, uh, people who would otherwise be unprotected. A young woman's marriage ability was really a significant asset, and as such, it really needed to be protected. And then we jump to don't let a sorceress live, okay? Uh, Reading these laws, you get the feeling that slander or crime against the name of God himself is particularly serious, and sorcery would certainly be that. So it's probably not too surprising here. And then we're back to talking about sex. Uh, Don't have sex with animals. Now, seriously, what is going on in the wilderness here? Uh, I don't, I don't know. I I don't want to know. But I think that it's interesting that our first four regulations here go sex, witchcraft, sex, false worship, which is essentially what 
witchcraft is. Now, that feels kind of random, but I, I actually kind of doubt it. If there's something I've learned in seminary and Bible study, it's that very rarely is there something that's, that's actually just random placement in the Bible. Uh, great, great care went into putting this text together just the way that we have it. In fact, arranging these few verses in this way actually kind of makes me wonder if they all go together. If these few verses do uh, make kind of a unit, then essentially this text here that we're dealing with today has three units. The first one here is about using things in the way that God designed them. Witchcraft is a perversion of worship. It's trying to harness natural and supernatural energies and get them to accomplish what you desire. Just like sacrificing to another god, it shows a lack of trust in God's provision, but also shows our intent to manipulate God's creation in order to get what we want. In the same way, the discussion of sex that we get here fits nicely uh, with this theme. Listen, sex is created by God, so it's a good thing, but it was intended to be used a certain way. Every time we try to force it, into something that it is not, we do damage to ourselves and to others. Would you agree with that statement? In the first case here, seducing a young woman with no intent to marry her was to take something particularly valuable from her for your own satisfaction. And in the later case, using animals for a similar purpose was never part of God's design. Whenever we take God's stuff and use it for our own ways, we do damage to ourselves. Now, the section, the uh, second section here talks about treating others fairly. And again, we see God elevating the status of people who might otherwise be considered uh, others. Widows and orphans are commonly talked about in the Bible because they represent the weakest members of society. These are the people who are the most vulnerable. They're the easiest to overlook. They have the least options available to them. And, and honestly, they're the easiest to exploit. Over and over again in Scripture we see that the true test of a nation is not how it caters to the powerful, but rather how it treats the weakest and most invisible members of its society. If that is not a timely message for the church today, I don't know what is. And then the third and final section uh, deals with the offerings and putting God first. It's about giving God the best of what we have, not the leftovers. Give the first part is, is what the instructions say. And, and nowhere is that spelled out more clearly than maybe in this verse that says, you must give me your firstborn sons. Now, that sounds kind of harsh. But the idea is that the first of everything belongs to God because everything came from God. So the first of everything belongs to God, including children. And, and as this would work out in the law throughout the rest of the Old Testament, the firstborn son would literally belong to God. Uh, a family would pay a special price. They would give a special offering to redeem their firstborn son, to remain uh, a part of their family, basically. Otherwise, he would actually become a priest. He would actually leave his family to become a priest. This is not figurative. This isn't a figurative, Lord, I give you my family kind of prayer. Literally, the firstborn son belonged to God. The overarching theme that I'm left here with is this. Don't hold back, but give God what is God's. And so 
as I try to sift through what might feel like a long, random list of do's and don'ts, I keep coming back to one word. And that word is want. Want. There are so many things that we want. What will we do to get them? When my four-year-old son uses that word want, you had better believe that he means business. Uh, He will jump and scream and kick and cry in order to get something he wants. But if I'm honest, then I'd have to admit that most days I'm surrounded by things that I want too. There are lots of things that I want to do and I want to get and I want to have. But how far am I willing to go to get them? Everything in this text helps us set boundaries around things that we want and things that we think we deserve. Maybe especially when there is something that we feel like we're entitled to. I mean, when, when we feel we're entitled, doesn't that, don't we sometimes have a fit similar to my son's tantrums when we don't get it? But time and time again, Scripture reminds us that it's all God's. Do you think God needs offerings? Do you think God needs sacrifices? No, of course he doesn't. And honestly, God doesn't need your money any more than he needed fruits and flocks in the Old Testament. And yet giving is a part of our worship experience, right? I mean, God doesn't need your money. Then why do we give? It's because we actually need to give God something to remind us that he owns everything. God doesn't need our money, but we need to give to God to remind us that it's all his. One of the most famous verses in the Bible is Psalm 23, right? It's the Lord is my shepherd. Do you know the old uh, King James Version? The old Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? I shall not want. The idea is I will have no need for anything because he will have already given me everything I need. That's the picture that's painted in that text. It's a picture of perfect trust and completeness found only in the giver of everything that we need. And it makes me wonder, it just, in what parts of my life am I actually relying on God? And in what parts of my life am I, am I just too busy trying to meet my own needs? And, and maybe worse yet, are, are there places there where we're trying to uh, not just meet our own needs, but even manipulate others into meeting my needs? Questions to think about. Where am I relying on God? And where am I frantically running around trying to meet my own needs? Let's pray. God, we want to be people who trust. We want to be be people who rely on you and on who you are every day, in every moment, in every situation. Show us where we do it well. Show us where we trust and, um, and give you the benefit of the doubt when things don't go our way. And God, show us, uh, where we need to deepen our trust and, um, show us where Show us where we're so busy wanting that we have missed what you've already given. 
God, um, help us to replace our want with, uh, our, with you today. Remind us that you are enough and your presence is enough for us in your name. Amen. Have a great day.